0: Hello everyone, my name is Peter, and I welcome you to PwC Tax Byte podcast. Um, today I have in my uh, virtual recording studio uh, three colleagues uh, and we're going to uh, continue our discussions of the past episodes on uh, on tax technology and, and Pillar 2. Um, I have with me Jorgen, already well known from the previous episodes and, and Jorgen is leading our global compliance network at PwC. I also have uh, Walid and Bert. Uh, Walid is a tax and accounting uh, technology expert, and he has a particular focus on Pillar 2 and ERP implementations. Bert is an expert working on the interlink between Pillar 2 and tax technology. So I think um, you have the, the, the right group of people um, to, to, to continue our discussions of the, of the, fo- of the past uh, sessions. And in this fourth session of the mini series, we will be going deeper into the topic of having separate tax ledgers. It's a question we receive quite often from our clients and not easy to answer. So, Jorgen, I'm going to have to give you that task. eh? Could you start off with uh, sharing some of your experiences with direct tax ledgers in an ERP system?
1: Thanks, Peter, and happy to do so. And and thanks for hosting us again this episode. Let me start by uh, briefly explaining what a tax ledger is uh, and why organizations may consider this. To then go into what the typical benefits would be as you will see in many cases this this is mainly going to be a cost benefit discussion so is the return on investment sufficient so what is it a tax ledger as we've seen in our previous episodes more and more multinational companies are implementing secondary ledgers in their erp to support local gap accounting and reporting so they often have two ledgers in place their group cap ledger and their statutory ledger. A third ledger for direct tax specifically may make sense, but only if it would be more cost efficient than maintaining a tax-based balance sheet outside your ERP. What typically drives a discussion on a tax ledger is when it comes to better feeding into downstream uh, direct tax uh, processes. In practice, of course, the tax provisioning process, the local tax compliance process, other specific local tax requirements. And especially in the Pillar 2 discussions, we see this topic being raised more and more, with some arguing this could even result in the need for a fourth tax ledger. But before we go too fast again, I want to repeat that the benefits need to outweigh the cost. And it's not just the technology cost, but far more importantly, the cost to operate these ledgers in a qualitative way. Even though today we do not yet see that many companies having implemented direct tax ledgers, the increasing number of new tax requirements and the increasing demand for better audit trails, more governance and increased reconciliations is certainly elevating the demand. So, what would be the key benefits? Why consider a tax ledger? It all starts, of course, with going a bit deeper into the problems we're trying to solve. What are state-of-the-art functions looking for in order to future-proof their setup? To give some examples, they would want to efficiently produce a number of things. A tax basis balance sheet considering the valuation principles applicable for tax, a trial balance with the appropriate granularity to support the periodic tax provisioning process, as well as the preparation of the local corporate income tax returns. Think of account details or breakdowns uh, having a tax sensitized chart of accounts for instance then they're also looking to to tax transactions gap to stat or stat to tax so to tag to, uh, adjustments as they are made and identify also whether they drive permanent or temporary differences to feed into the tax accounting process there may also be some more jurisdiction-specific rules for direct tax provisioning, which may be enabled in the tax ledger. Think of uh, differences in currency translation, different depreciation rates as the the most obvious ones. And then, of course, data points required for pillar two, especially where they relate, for instance, to the tax accounting calculations. Uh, We we think that this will be an area where, um, in order to make the process as efficient as possible, uh, having a dedicated tax ledger or uh, a dedicated Pillar 2 ledger uh, could really be beneficial. And these are just the most obvious ones. In addition, some countries even require a separate tax ledger to be locally compliant and therefore there might not even be an option. Although countries with this strict requirement, they're still quite rare today, it may become more relevant in the future as, as the tax authorities also evolve in their uh, in their digital uh, access to uh, underlying accounting records as a final note we do want to point out that the tax ledger itself is is almost never the end product it's rather a way to improve the end-to-end processes into the final deliverables so reports will need to be set up your tax technology will need to be updated to ingest these additional data points etc But if I may summarize, in many cases, a tax ledger will be a key accelerator for optimizing the tax function, and hence is something you should have on your roadmap to consider.
0: Okay, thanks Jørgen for opening that. Um, so what I hear is that even though companies may or may not have immediate needs for a, a tax ledger, it is recommended to at least consider whether tax ledgers uh, is a good idea and doing the cost-benefit analysis. So, uh, well, maybe you can explain us a little bit what are now the key benefits uh, typically achieved to the tax ledger.
2: Yeah, sure thing, uh, Peter, and, uh, and thanks for having me. Well, um, the immediate benefits we may think of uh, could be to have a real-time direct tax reporting data available, a better and a more automated audit trail uh, of the tax adjustments that are being made, a reduction of the need to export the data and to do offline analysis and calculation in Excel, more transparency on the stats to tax differences, a more structured and baseline uh, for integration with other applications, and reduce the time required to support tax audits so where do we actually start with our analysis well we typically look at four drivers to consider being scale complexity automation uh, opportunities and upcoming requirements so starting off with the volume uh, volume of the tax adjustments you have to remember that maintaining a separate tax ledger requires a whole governance process and periodic support of the accounting and tax teams it may not be a cost-efficient uh, model in case you have a limited number of materials subject to tax adjustments. The benefits may at, may not outweigh the costs here. Continuing on to the second driving, being the complexity of the stock to, uh, to tax differences, the more complex, the more it may make sense to support those adjustments through the use of a tax ledger, not only for documentation and audit trail uh, perspective, but also from a cost benefit perspective. Going on then to the third driver, opportunities for automation. Some stats to tax adjustments when complex and or high uh, in volume may benefit from uh, automation within a, a specific tax ledger. For example, in case you maintain a tax-specific asset capitalization and depreciation policy, having a separate fixed asset subledger feeding the tax ledger with the adjustment journals may prove to be cost efficient and may provide even a better audit trail and patient that goes with it. A level of automation of your spot to tax adjustments within the ERP will be determined determining factor for the decision to implement and deploy a tax ledger. Going on to the final driver then, a new tax, new tax reporting requirements. Over the last few years, we have seen an increasing demand for new and more periodic tax reporting, such as soft filings, Pillar 2, CBCR. That may help just justify the need for a tax ledger within the ERP. In addition to that, more and more tax authorities require increasingly, increasingly direct and frequent access to the accounting records for tax audit or assess, assessment purposes. A more structured approach by means of an ERP ledger may help facilitate that specific requirement.
0: Thanks, Walid. So, uh, when talking about tax ledgers and ERP, um, it's obvious; it goes without saying that that pillar two will have an immense impact on this. Bert, I'm I'm curious, from from your experience with Pillar 2 and and systems, can you share some light on the the data and system uh, impact of this?
3: Sure, Peter, and thanks for uh, having me. As I assume uh, most listeners will know, um, the objective of Pillar 2 is for large multinational enterprises to pay a minimum level of tax, an effective tax rate of 15% on the income arising in each jurisdiction where they operate. Um, And the OCD has released in 2021 a set of rules, which are the so-called CLOPE rules that includes the mechanics to determine the effective tax rates of each multinational enterprise. In order to comply with the Pillar 2 rules, an in-scope multinational needs to be able to calculate its effective tax rates on a jurisdictional blending basis for the jurisdictions that are not falling under any of the safe harbors. If that would be the case, a multinational is required to complete a detailed return based on the globe information return and potentially containing around 400 to 500 data points covering all areas of the globe pools. While all data points would not be relevant to all companies, the number of data points for the overall group can expand significantly based on the number of constituent entities in the group and the nature of your business. When it comes to data, Pillar 2 is probably one of the key catalysts today to start looking at the comprehensive tax data strategy throughout the organization.
0: Okay, Uh, thanks Bert. But how can organizations make the shift?
3: Well, Peter, only with a robust data governance framework under Pillar 2 ensures that data is handled ethically and in compliance with all relevant local laws. The data strategy can have a massive impact on organizations by integrating data strategy, enabling data driven decision making, fostering a data driven culture, ensuring data governance, driving innovation and enhancing our customers experience.
0: Okay, so. Let's bring it back now to the baseline of this mini-series, eh, which is all about statutory reporting. Um, I'm interested to to get more details on the link between the statutory reporting and Pillar 2. Walit, is that something you can, you can explain a bit?
2: Yeah, sure, uh, certainly. So, uh, there is indeed uh, a link between the statutory reporting and Pillar 2. So, for two reasons exactly. So first, in most countries in the world, the direct tax calculation starts from or at least needs to be reconciled to the statutory trial balances. You need to be able to explain any differences. So the link to the statutory reporting has always been important. And secondly, but more importantly, actually, with pillar two, a completely new layer is added. So let me explain. Pillar two is in principle uh, in principle starts from the data used in the consolidation process. In the EU, EU directive, it is even more strict. The data as per uh, the consolidation gap, and the recent guidance also confirmed that the data should actually be reported in the reporting currency, so the currency of your consolidated financial statements. If you link the two items, it is without a doubt that, that going forward, a full reconciliation between whatever amount is. In your local tax return needs to be made to what is in the pillar two global information return and you can only do this if you have a full reconciliation between the data in your consolidated financial statements and in your local statutory financial statements my expectation is that reconciliations are going to be the key topic for the next couple of years there are multiple challenges to this reconciliation but that would take us too deep uh, for this session peter
0: yeah, thanks, for it. Yeah. Without, of course, going in too much detail, uh, could you perhaps give us some examples to make this a bit more tangible?
2: Uh, yeah, sure. As I am sure you understand, so this uh, this will all almost always be very company specific and it needs to be an analyzed case by case. But to give some generic examples, you should consider setting up a separate tax ledger for the pillar two starting point. Often, you uh, already have a group gap TB to start from. You could in this specific ledger back out uh, ppa and consolidation entries if any of course and book tsa uh, adjustments but this will for instance require a base ledger on legal entity or constituted entity level and in the appropriate reporting currency of course and it comes with some practical considerations for example it could result in possibly a high number of extra ledgers which requires maintenance specifically uh as this would constitu- uh, constitute a period periodical or even quarterly exercise, you have to. Secondly, you have to account for uh, these in journals, which can be quite challenging as well for these consolidation entries that are multi-legal entity. So the alternative here to analyze is doing this calculation further downstream in the Pillar Two process, or more upstream in the consolidation process. We're only at the start of this challenging journey. Once uh, one in which data. Quality, as we referred to in our previous episodes, is again key here, and where a structured approach to manage gap to stats and tax to uh, stat to tax reporting is crucial.
0: Okay, uh, thanks, Waleed. Yeah, um, yeah, very interesting. Uh, all of this. Um, we do, however, come a little bit towards the end of the time we have today. Um, so maybe Jorgen uh, to close the session. Can, can you give us what your takeaways, your, your key takeaways, basically, of this uh, discussion?
1: Sure, Peter. So to, to summarize, uh, managing the, the changing tax landscape, it, it involves uh, traversing a complex web of evaluations and adjustments, and this irrespective of whether organizations are subject to Pillar 2 or not. Among the solutions, a holistic stat and tax ledger implementation emerges as a a strategic tool offering transparency and and structured management of all the adjustments required. So the decision to establish such a ledger, it hinges on factors like materiality, volume and and complexity of differences. But if implemented effectively, the ledgers and the ledger strategy will be a key accelerator to optimize end-to-end tax processes and to allow to step away from the heavy reliance on manual calculations and Excel files. So the ledger strategy is a key element in the organization of any statutory and tax function, and it should be looked at from a a people, process, and technology angle. And this should be on your roadmap, as this will be one of the key design decisions to make with a lot of downstream impact. So my takeaway recommendation is to make sure to do this now and to not postpone this analysis.
0: Thanks, Jorgen, uh, for your takeaways. Um, This is what we had for you today. So I hope uh, the audience enjoyed listening and and engaging with us uh, in in, in this topic. I thank my speakers, of course, for uh, uh, yet another interesting episode uh, on on tax reporting and the systems. So thank you, Jorgen, Walid and Bert. And um, yeah, I would say uh, tune in for the next episode, I would say. Thank you.